Amen. Well, good morning. Man, Christ is risen. Amen. A few of you have been to church before. I like it. Hey, well, welcome. Welcome to Redemption Parker. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a joy and privilege on this day, especially to uh, worship God and open up God's word with you. Uh, so we, we, we'd love to have you open, uh, turn on your phone, whatever. It used to be pastors like to hear the, the turning of pages of scripture. Now we just want to see the warm glow of God's word on your face. <laughs> Uh, whatever it takes, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he helped establish. It's in the New Testament. It's kind of towards the end, the right side of your Bible. That's where we'll be at this morning. But again, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, so that last question, New City Catechism, question number 52, is so fitting for this day. It is that it is our future hope. It is this promise from God in the last pages of Scripture that a day is coming when, when all things will be renewed and restored. And uh, as life was always intended to be lived in, in beautiful communion with God and one another, that day is coming in Revelation 21. But that day, Revelation 21, is built on the promise and the sure foundation of what we're going to look at here today, that, that Jesus Christ conquered death in the grave. And so, uh, Revelation 21 does not happen unless what we say today, 1 Corinthians 15, has actually taken place. And so, that's where we're going with this today. I don't know if you've done anything to prepare for this day. Maybe you, you stumbled in off the streets and we're glad you're here, or your neighbor or friend invited you. We're glad you're here. Uh, historically, in church history, uh, they, they call this Holy Week, and, and different faith traditions do different things. They'll, they'll do prayer, and they'll do fasting, they'll do scripture reading. Uh, maybe you watched The Passion of the Christ. Maybe you came on Good Friday and just kind of sat in the weight of, of what Good Friday is, where Jesus came to the cross and bore the weight of the the sin of the world. Uh, maybe, maybe you prayed, maybe you fasted. Uh, I don't know how, how God has prepared your heart, but I believe God has something for you this morning. I don't believe that anyone's here by accident. This week, God prepared my heart in, in two kind of unique ways that, that don't normally happen in my life. The first one was through a video game, and the second one was through a field trip. You're like, okay, where are you going with this? No, it was a video game. I was, I, I was reading uh, in the Gospel Coalition about this story of this, this family. They live here in Colorado. Uh, they're Christians. The, the father is a, a game designer. And uh, it, it's really a, a creative way for them to tell their story, for you to enter into the story. And I was intrigued by it. So I downloaded it on the iPad. And, and just in a very beautiful way, it just tells this story uh, of their family. They got three boys. The youngest was named Joel. And the, the, the game was called That Dragon Cancer. And you can imagine what the story is about. Uh, you start off and, and you, the real voices of the parents are talking and, and they're trying to figure out, oh, Joel's, Joel's not feeling that well. I wonder what's wrong with him. And they're going to the doctor and you go to the doctor with them and, and you go through this and, and you receive the news as they receive the news that, that their one-year-old has cancer, brain cancer. So you go through the journey and you, and you accomplish some things along the way, but uh, then it's, it's time to celebrate because the end of treatment day and let's see the results and the results come in and they say they're not good. In fact, we're stopping treatment. Joel maybe has two months to live. And the room fills up with water as they get 
as you get overwhelmed with the, the flood that that is, and then you just kind of go through it, and you're, you're accomplishing things, but really, the game feels broken, because in, in every other game that you play, you, it's kind of, you're on a level, and you, you uh, get, get some skill, and you, you get to the end of that level, and you have a boss, right? And you beat the boss, and you go to the next level, right? So, so there's this kind of uh, response and consequence, and, and you, with your skill and your ability, you eventually beat the boss, and at the end, there's the final boss, right? Like the final boss is all that you've come to in this moment. You, you battle, and it may take you more, a lot of times, and you replay and replay, and eventually you beat the boss, and you save the princess, or whatever the case may be. That's how games are supposed to work. Except for in this one, you're getting dragged along, and you're like, I don't, I don't want to go this direction. I don't want to go down this journey. But you get pulled down this journey, and, and at the end, uh, Joel, has, he doesn't make it three or four months. He makes it till his fifth birthday. But, but things have coming, you come to this cathedral at the end and, and the prayers of the saints are crying out, Lord, please deliver him. Please bring a miracle in this moment. Please do something in this moment. And, and as the gamer, you're trying to see what can I do? What, what prayers can I pray? What, what can I do with this organ? And, and you're trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden the screen goes black and you lose. That's not how games are supposed to be played. You lose and Joel dies. And, and you just kind of sit in that. And you're like, man, this is this, the reality. We live in a broken world. We live, no matter what, it just seems like you get to the last dragon, the last enemy, and, and you can't beat it. So what do you do? So that was the first thing. And then I was sitting in that. And this week was also my youngest daughter's birthday. And uh, she turned 12. And, and uh, her birthday is unique because she shares uh, the birthday of my mother who passed away six years ago. And so when we celebrate her birthday, we're reminded of my mother. And so um, I'm sitting in that. And we have this tradition in our family that when it's your birthday month, you get a, a, a day where we go down to Culver's and you pick out your own custard. It's just a small thing. And so I I'm sitting in my office after playing this game. I'm like, oh, Hannah, hey, do you want to you go get that custard? She's like, yeah, I want to get that custard. And so I'm like, okay, let's go get that custard. But, uh, and happy birthday, by the way. Um, we're going to go get the custard. But first, uh, I want to take you on a field trip. Would that be all right? She's like, yeah, where are we going? I said, well, we're going to go to the Parker Cemetery. Oh, you guys think I'm bad, right? Like, you don't do this for your kids on their birthday? <laughs> Happy birthday. Let's go to the cemetery. Have you been to the cemetery? Okay, bear with me for a moment. So I'm like, she's like, the cemetery? I'm like, yeah, let's just go. Let's go to the cemetery. She's like, okay, where is it? I'm like, we drive by it all the time. It's right off of Parker Road. She's like, okay. And so we pull in. She's like, this is crazy. Why are we going to the cemetery? I was like, let's, let's just walk. Let's just check it out. And so, so she gets out and, and really was just this kind of intimate, holy moment. And we walk past the gravestones, and we, we, our hearts rise and fall, and we see a two-month-old. We just say, man, what, what kind of heartache does this, does this represent? Or we see uh, she turned 12. We saw, oh, this was a 12-year-old. I saw a 43-year-old because I'm 43, and, and, and sometimes we saw World War I vets and, and World War II vets, and we kind of, uh, sometimes they would tell a story, and you'd see family members, and you'd kind of begin to put the pieces together, and it was just this, uh, this moment of just wondering and awe. These are image bearers of God that have lived their lives 
whether it was two months or some cases 90 years old, but in that moment you think, man, so, so as, we, as we walk by, it was a good time. As, as we were walking back to the car, I said, now, Hannah, I have some questions for you, um, and I'm going to write them down because I really I kind of need your help to write my sermon. So, uh, so whatever you say, I'm going to write down in this moment. She said, okay. I said, so tell me about, like, what, what, what is this doing to you? Like, as you, happy birthday, and, and you go to a seminar, like, what, what's it doing? She said, well, it, it makes, it makes, Death seems so much more real. I'm like, yeah, it does. What else is it doing? She's like, well, it also makes life seem so much more short. I'm like, yeah. And, and we never know because there was two-month-olds and 12-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 80-year-olds, and, but, but they've all come to this place. And I said, is there anything else? She said, well, it, it makes me want to live life well. I'm like, well, praise God. Praise God for that. See, we live in a death-averse culture, and we like to put it off and put it off and act like it never is going to happen. In theory, we, we know it happens, right? But in practice, that's for other people in a long time from now, and so we don't want to think about it. But, but, but there's something that happens that stirs my affections for Jesus and my longing for this day uh, that we're celebrating right now when, when we confront it face on. So Jonathan Edwards, when he was 19 years old, he wrote a series of resolutions. I don't know how a 19-year-old writes these things, but, but also lives them out for the rest of his life. He, he has two resolutions or, or along this way. Resolution number nine was this. He said, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. So, so Edwards was like, no, I, I want to know that a day is coming where, where I will take my last breath, and I want to live in light of that day. So resolution number six, he says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. So we're celebrating today even that future hope of Revelation 21. And we're saying that is, that is secured and purchased by the resurrection of Christ. But the story of God goes back further than that because we know we live in a broken world. And every funeral you ever go to, there's something wrong about it. It's not the way things were meant to be. And so when, when in back at the very beginning of the story, the Bible is telling one story from, from, from the beginning to the end. And the story is that there is a God, he is good, he is right, and he is just. And he desires to be with us. He makes us in his image and he places us in a garden and he says, it is good. And that's what life was meant to be lived by. So Adam and Eve, the first image bearers, are like, yes, it is good. But a time comes where they, they get to a point in their life and they say, you know what? We think we'll do it our way. And they turn their back on God, even though God had warned them, don't do it. You weren't made to live in rebellion. You were made to live in relationship with me. But they turned their back and they went their own way. And sin and brokenness and death entered into the world. And those dragons came and they've been winning every sin, ever since that day. But the story of the Bible is God continuing to pursue his people, that he is with us. And so he, uh, he delivers them out of Egypt and he gives them a tabernacle where his presence would be with them. But they continue to rebel, continue to say, we'll go our way. And God continues to pursue his people, pursue his people. 
The author of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And what he means by that, that there, there is this chasm in your heart that, that is eternal, that, that desires to be filled, that, that, that desires to find satisfaction, that desires to find purpose and meaning. And, and because we are blinded, because we are, are, are sinful ourselves, we go off and choose a thousand different things to fill that heart void. Some of them good, some of them bad. We say maybe it's drugs and alcohol and sex or maybe it's just having the perfect family or, or the right job or, or, or my culture says if I get this, I'll be satisfied. And so we strive and we strive and we strive and we try to reach it and try to reach it. It always seems outside of our grasp. And even when we do grab the thing that we know is gonna make us happy, we're like, man, it doesn't fit because you, can, you can't throw small things in a chasm of eternity and expect to fill it. And so God has put eternity in our hearts. Augustine, the fourth century uh, leader of Bishop of Hippo, he, he had chased after a million things trying to fill his heart. And when God got hold of his heart, he, he wrote in his book, Confessions, this thing. He says, you, O Lord, have made us for thyself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you or something like that. Yeah. His point was like, only God can satisfy the deep, deep longings of your heart no matter what the world tells you. And so God is in pursuit of you. And the Bible says that at just the right time or when the fullness of time came, Christ stepped down from his throne in glory and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel. And he lived. Oh man, did he live. Oh, it was a short life by our standards, 33 years, but he lived. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father and exhilarating joy before the face of God. A life that you and I have not lived. A life you and I, quite frankly, we could never live. And, and he taught us about the kingdom and he said, this is what, what it's like to be in the kingdom. This is what it's like to be in relationship with God and God's people. And, and he taught us, but ultimately the Bible says he didn't just come to live and be a good example. Ultimately, he came for Good Friday. And, and not only did he live a life he, we can never live, he paid a price you and I can never pay, a price that we deserve. When he came to the cross, it, it says that the righteous, justified wrath of, God, of a holy God against sinful humanity was poured out on himself. And he took the, sin, the, the, the wrath that you deserve on the cross in your place, and he bore that on his own shoulders. And on the cross, he battled the dragon of sin, and he won when he said, it is finished. And we take a big breath of relief. He beat the, the dragon of sin. But then he dies. And we think, man, even Jesus can't beat the last dragon. If Jesus can't beat the last dragon, who can beat the last dragon of death? He dies and he goes into the tomb. The dragon swallows him up and he goes into the belly of the dragon. And I just imagine what the disciples are thinking in this moment. All of their hopes, all of their dreams crushed in that moment. The Bible tells us that Jesus told them repeatedly in his life that he would be the sin slayer and, and death slayer. He says, hey, I'm going to go battle sin. I'm going to go battle death. I am going to die, but I'll come back again in three days. And they were like, we don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, Jesus, just, just keep doing your thing. But, but when it happened, they were crushed. They thought their world had come to an end. But that was just the beginning. On the third day, he rose again. He didn't just get swallowed by the dragon of death. He got swallowed. But on the third day, Scripture says, by the power of God, he came to life and he took his sword. And from the belly of death, he opened up the dragon and he conquered death and the grave. And he says, the way is now open. You can follow me. You, you can go through this path. And so that's what Paul reminds the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. This church in Corinth is a church that Paul helped to establish. He shared the gospel. He shared this good news with them, and they accepted it. But, but as time went along, as churches are, are, are wont to do, uh, they kind of began to go their own way. They had infighting. They had all sorts of problems. They, they were messed up, really. And so Paul, in his loving encouragement to the church, is writing this letter to kind of uh, show them some things that they had questions about. But in the end, he's, he reminds them of what's ultimately true. It's what, why we celebrate today. Look at chapter 15. I'll, I'll read. This is God's word. Listen carefully. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. So, so they know the gospel, but they, their hearts and their minds need to be reminded of the truth. It says, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And he reminds them of how they became Christians. He says, for I delivered to you... A, as of first importance, what I received. So a couple things here. He says, this is the most important truth in the universe, what I'm about to remind you of, church. He says, this is of first importance. We don't just get the gospel and move on to bigger and better things. He says, no, there's nothing bigger and better than the good news of the gospel. And so he's just going to remind him. And it says, of what I received. Meaning, what he's about to say, it did not originate with him. He didn't make this up. Most scholars think that what he's about to uh, tell them in the next several verses is actually the oldest Christian hymn that dates back to with this, just a few years within the resurrection. And, and he's going to quote what's the oldest hymn, perhaps the first catechism, the first here's what we believe as Christians kind of truth. And here's what he says, four things. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Number one, that he was buried. Two, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And number four, and that he appeared. He appeared. So this isn't just a story of wish fulfillment, hoping that, that, that something like a resurrection could happen. He, he's going to go on and, and show all the people that he had appeared to. And Jesus didn't just come back and secretly appear to one disciple and say, now go tell the world. Like a lot of world religions get started that way. No, Jesus came back and he appeared uh, to small groups of people and to large groups of people. He appeared to people that weren't even believers. And, and in every case at first, there is shock and there is disbelief. Because why? They expected a dead person to stay dead, right? Just like you and I would expect. And so when Jesus shows up at times, they're first terrified and they're like, ah, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, give me some fish. And he eats some fish with them. And they're like, ghosts don't eat fish. And Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas is like, hey, 
You guys say you said Jesus, but saw Jesus, but I haven't seen him. Unless I touch the nail scars in his hand and the, the, the scar in his side, I'm not going to believe. And then so a week later it happens and Jesus shows up again. And Thomas is like, uh, and he's just like, hey, come here. I heard you, I heard you needed something from me. And I just love it because uh, we, I mean, we're like, oh, doubting Thomas. Like who in here wouldn't be like that? Like, no, I, need, I saw him die. Like, people, dead people don't come back to life. And so Jesus says, come here, Thomas, feel this. Touch this. And Thomas is like, my Lord, my God. He's transformed. Well, well Paul reminds us that Jesus does that. He says, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Look what he says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So that doesn't mean that they're still alive today. It means that when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Corinth, it was still close enough to the resurrection that, that he's like, look, if you don't believe me, there's 500 other people that, that, that saw this. Go ask them. I mean, for 40 days, Jesus appeared and showed them, and, and, and the scripture says, with many convincing proofs. See, the... The capstone in the arch of Christianity is the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. We're all fools. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's what Paul's going to call us if that's the truth. He says, uh, he appeared to, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, and then that's his brother, half-brother, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, the apostle Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The apostle Paul is a trophy of God's grace. If, if Paul can get saved, anyone in this room today can get saved. And so, Jesus shows up. We'll cover that in a couple weeks as we go through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, he shows up, knocks Paul off his horse, and changes his life. So he's saying, look, this is real. We don't believe in this like we hope that this is true. No, there is a real time, place, physical, bodily resurrection. We hugged, we hugged Jesus. We, we gave him a high five. We, we heard from him, all those things. But then the question is, well, what if, what if this is a farce? What if the resurrection is a hoax? Because apparently some of the Corinthians church, they, they, they didn't like, they didn't like how their fellow citizens and neighbors that weren't Christians looked down on them and were like, man, you're an idiot. You believe a dead guy came back to life? So they began to say, well, you know, maybe it was just a spiritual resurrection or maybe it didn't actually happen. And so Paul's like, okay, let's, let's look at that. What if Jesus didn't actually come back from the dead? Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So, so sometimes I, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but, but even, if, even if this was shown not to be true, I'd still be a Christian because it, it makes my life better. And Paul's going to be like, that's dumb with a capital Q. 
Like, that's a dumb reason to be a Christian. Like, what do you mean? No, uh, we don't just follow Christ because it makes our life better. In fact, if you really follow Christ, it may not make your life better, <laughs> at least on this side of eternity. And, and so that's what he's going to unpack for us. He's like, that's a dumb way to think. <laughs> he says, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And the wages of sin is death, and you have no hope. Then those also who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ have also perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Look, if, if there wasn't a real resurrection... Then, then Paul would say to you and to us, like, what are you doing here? It's a beautiful day outside. If, if the resurrection isn't true, you're idiots to be in this room in this moment. That's what he's saying. Look at, verse, at the end of verse 32. He says, uh, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What he's saying is, if there's no such thing in the resurrection, this whole Christianity thing is a farce. And in fact, the secular humanists are probably right. There is no ultimate meaning or purpose in life. There's no such thing as justice and love and courage and bravery and all the things that we cherish. There's no human rights. There's nothing. It's all meaningless, meaningless, meaningless if there is no resurrection. And so he says, might as well just enjoy today. Might as well do whatever you want because in the end, it, it all doesn't matter. Or as someone else said, if, the, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, might as well line up the cocaine. I'm Instagram that today. Uh, visitors are like, what? Did he just say cocaine? No, the point is, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the grave, you're fools. We're fools for being here. This, this whole faith thing is dumb. Like, why don't we just blow our minds with cocaine? Why don't we just take our lives? Why don't we just, it's all meaningless. Thankfully, thankfully Paul doesn't leave us there. Verse 20, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. All right, maybe I'm just far away. Let me say that again so I can hear you say amen. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen, amen. thank you. Okay, uh, it's just the sound dynamics up here. Um, but he has been raised from, he's the first fruits, we'll get back to that word in a moment, of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a, a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. You see what he's saying. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the down payment for our eternal hope and joy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. So I've got, I've got Edwards, Augustine, Augustine, and Lewis today. So I'm, I'm, this is like five star for you. <laughs> Lewis said this. Christ is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. Oh, Christ is the dragon slayer. 
And our hearts long for it. God has put eternity in your heart and only Jesus can fill it because he is the eternal one. So every superhero movie you go to see this summer is a cry for Jesus, for someone to slay the dragon. Good news, we have a dragon slayer. His name is Jesus. Verse 24. Now it's gonna echo Revelation 21 that we started with today. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God and the fa- uh, kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus will destroy death. This is good news. <laughs> you say, well, well Mark, what, there, there's still cancer. And there's still ALS. Your your mom died of that. And there's still car wrecks. And there's still a thousand million other ways to die. Yes. But in Christ, each of those are merely a doorway to life that is life forever and ever and ever. As C.S. Lewis put it, this whole life, this whole history that we've come up to is just the first sentence and the first page of the rest of the story that we get to reign and rule, and Christ will be with us. This is good news. So so we don't have to be afraid of cancer and Alzheimer and death and old age and the million other ways. We don't have to be afraid because that is a doorway to closer unity with Christ. But more than that, uh, Christ is with us now. And so you can go to the cemetery with your 12, 12-year-old daughter and you don't have to say, hey, this is where we're going to end up. This is the end of it. And whether it's 12 years or 85 years, it's not very long and that's all of it. No, because Christ has been raised. He is the first fruit. He is the down payment on our resurrection. And forever and ever and ever, we will be with him by grace through faith. So church, you get to be good news people in a bad news world, a world that is clamoring for something to hope in, but always turns their attention to the bad news. And you get to say, hey, guess what? There is good news. There is a God who loves you and has opened the doorway to you, and his name is Jesus. And by grace through faith, even today, you can come into relationship with him. The Bible says that if you put your faith in Jesus today, you will be transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the son God loves. That's the offer. That's the invitation for you this morning. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus, you can know that you have a dragon slayer fighting on your behalf and he will win. He will conquer all. For the rest of us, let's be good news people. Let's be the most explosively joyful people on the planet. We believe that a man died, was buried, and rose again, and that his resurrection secures ours forever and ever. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has never yet placed their trust in him. Lord, may you, by your spirit, just lead them to repentance of their sin, to turn away from everything they knew in and of themselves and to find that which can fill their heart that aches for eternity, to find you, Jesus. Lord, give them assurance that by placing their trust and hope in you, that you will be their dragon slayer of sin, death, and the grave. 
Lord, for the rest of us, let us live like this is true. Let us live with an exploding joy that cannot be stopped by all the darkness that is in this world. We carry the light of the hope of the world. Holy Spirit, we need you to do that in us and through us, even now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.